0: Hello and welcome to the Tribal Podcast. We believe that true deep learning occurs when three things happen. You must one, understand, two, remember, and three, deliberately practice your newly acquired knowledge. And this podcast covers the first part understand. Complete this learning by getting the second and third part. mytribal.com. That's M-Y-T-R-I-B-E-L.com. So together, let's get the key takeaways from this book understood. The Five Dysfunctions of a Team by Patrick Lencioni is the subject of this podcast episode. And in this episode, I speak to Maggie Peralton, who is the founder of Stairway to Leadership, where she talks about the what the five dysfunctions of a team are, how to put them right, and more importantly, I think, she talks about how she used these, these lessons from the book in her own life to turn around um, more than one team. So you can find out more about Maggie at stairwaytoleadership.com. So on with the show. So hello, uh, Maggie. We are going to talk today about the five dysfunctions of a team what are the five dysfunctions of a team or actually you know, tell us a little bit about the book first of all and then we can get into the, the details of it
1: yeah sure thank you kevin i have to say this is one of my favorite leadership books and um i sort of discovered it through the ceo of the company i used to work with he sort of gave it to or recommended it to all the people leaders and i read it and i really loved it and it came the right time for me because I was just a young manager of a new pretty dysfunctional team and I was hired to fix them up yeah. and even though this book is about a CEO and more of an executive team you know there's a new woman CEO coming into an executive team and the company is struggling and she needs to turn the company around and of course can't do it alone needs her executive team to work with her so the book it's a little bit of a story a little bit of a fable work walks you through five dysfunction of low performing team and how that CEO turns them around. And then at the end, there's a summary and also more like your typical, you know, business book of the thing. But I took that as, again, more of a junior manager, having more of a junior team, actually like an entry level team in the corporation and still managed to turn that turn them around and turn the team around and become really high performing. And that's what made me realize like this book works anywhere for any team, not necessarily just the executives. It's a fantastic book.
0: One of the the things you said there at the start was that uh, you said something like it was just the right book at the right time. And I found that so many times throughout my career, my life, that you can't even put your finger on what the problem is and then suddenly a book just appears in your life or somebody recommends a book and You think, Geez, mm-hmm. that's exactly what i was looking for and another thing as well with a now what a, i don't know because you haven't told me yet, but i assume with a book like that when it lays out like the five dysfunctions and it's actually one of the reasons i love books is, is uh when you take over a team like that again mm-hmm. you can't really put your finger why is this team not gelling why are they not working I mean, somebody mm-hmm. can lay it out in a book like that, it at least gives you a starting point. It gives you a way mm-hmm. to kind of weigh into the problem rather than mm-hmm. if it doesn't even give you the solution straight away, it can at least give you something to think about, I suppose, which is, I guess, what this book yep. does.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it gives some solutions, but get again, not all of them will work for every team, but A, it gives you, let's say, a symptom of each dysfunction, right? So, like, once you know the symptom or you can start noticing, then you know, okay, well, this is the thing. What can I do, right? And yes, there are some ideas in the book, but even if not all of them apply, um, you'll come up with yours, just like I did. And I will probably share as we talk about it through some of the things that I did that are not necessarily in the book, just because again, the teams were very different.
0: Do you know what I found as well, actually, I studied as, a, as an engineer originally, and one of the, even though I never really worked at it, one of the things that I uh, got from it is, and I, it's something I've never really tested, but I think it is true that the more, so rather than looking for a solution sometimes, the more you define the problem, the more, mm-hmm. the more obvious the solution becomes like, it's like, um, is it the, uh, Socratic method? I think it's called that idea. Just keep asking why, why does mm-hmm. that happen? And why does mm-hmm. that happen? And why did that happen? And yep. eventually you, you, like, you just kind of keep defining the problem down to it to it's almost like atomic level where you think, okay, well it's because of this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's kind of, I get that idea that that's, that's what this book may possibly about. So go ahead, Maggie. Mm-hmm. Wow me.
1: All right. All right. So I, I thought that we would just go through like each yep. dysfunction because they're the a bit like a pyramid, right? So like there's the basic dysfunctions in us. If they if the team has them, then nothing can happen above, right? A little bit like Maslow's hierarchy of need. Yeah. And uh, and again, the book it's a nice story, so it's a quick read, really. It doesn't take you long. But like the first dysfunction is when the team has absence of trust right and in the book itself it was trust between each other right so like they they just didn't trust themselves and what happens is then people conceal their weaknesses right they don't want to address their mistake because they don't trust that their peers will not go out there and start talking about them all the way right they're not honest with each other
0: yeah
1: they're not vulnerable with each other, right? They they kind of also don't use each other's skills and experiences because they're like creating those silos, right? And, but for example, in my story, when I came in, there was also a distrust to the management because the team, when I started, they had, I think like five and six or six managers within a year and a half and two before I started, right? So it was like new manager, new ideas came in and then they left. So the team started doing the best they can, kind of like inmates running the zoo, right? <laughs> but yeah. kind of the best they can without any guidance and anybody knew who came, they just distrusted it from the start thinking, well, she'll be gone anyways, right? Let's just wait three months and she'll be gone. Um, so, and if, if that lags, then there's nothing you can do, right? It's very hard to build a team to kind of get them to, you know, work towards the common goals if they don't trust you or they don't trust each other. So that's really a foundation that you need to build. It yeah, and it's matter.
0: interesting. It's it's interesting because, like, like I suppose, like any any kind of company you go into or any team you enter into, that's like an unwritten rule, like. Or mm-hmm. it's 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 a rule that isn't necessarily it's not necessarily um, written down somewhere like we all and and even even if you said to a team okay we all have to trust each other and they go you okay know. yeah it doesn't work like just, that. Like, <laughs> <it> doesn't work <laughs> oh, oh, tell me when, when you took over that team that you're thinking of specifically mm-hmm. what did you do then to to build that trust between each other to
1: build trust yeah definitely you can just say oh we we're, we're gonna trust each other yeah, I need you to trust <laughs> And that's a process. So it's not something that you can do overnight or even over a week. It has to be a process. But what I did for me in that point, like I told myself, I'm gonna be your constant, right? You think you're going away, I'm not going away, even though I, I wasn't telling that. But but what I did is there's a few things. First, establish some basic rules in the beginning. You can come in and like try to change everything, but there's things you can you can establish based on the team's, you know, dynamics and what you need to do, and be consistent with it and follow them yourself, right? So I'm always like lead by example, if you want your employees. So my team, for example, they worked shifts. So they had to be on time and so on. It wasn't more of an office where it doesn't matter, right? When, whether yeah. you start at eight and so on, it was a twenty. Not at that time, but it was a shift work because there were calls coming in and so on. So if I demand or if if the rule is, okay, you got to come on time and log in to your shift on time so then your peer can take a break. And then, you know, when you need to take a break, somebody comes on time. then me as a manager, I also need a certain schedule so the team can see and I'm coming on time and the same, right? Not me like mending the rules for me, but then the team. Also, you know, being, showing the team that you have their back. So let's say as long as they follow the rules, excuse me, or follow the process that there are and, you know, for them to be successful, then no matter what happens, so let's just say they make a decision within those, those constraints or within that process, and maybe the outcome of that decision is not the best, it doesn't matter that you have their back right? So you empower them. Yes, you can make those decisions. Here are the ground rules. And as long as you follow them, I will back you up in those decisions. So there's no fear like, oh my God, I'm going to make a mistake and lose my job, right? where you stand up for them, for other departments or other people who might come, oh my God, you did this, right? And I did that on a regular basis and the team started trusting that as long as they follow the rules, right, they, they stay within the process and so on, they're safe to make decisions. They're safe not be scared of somebody beating them up for something that their manager just has their back. And you you build that trust with time.
0: Yeah, so I guess it's, you know, it's, you could, like I said, it there. You, you can, you can write it down somewhere on a piece of paper and and show everyone. But who cares? It's actually when you show it to people over time that uh, yeah, trust is earned. I suppose like it's a bit of a cliche, mm-hmm. like, but it's it's very very true. And in the real world, if you show up on time, you know, and and do your best work, it doesn't matter if there's a mistake made because that's just mm-hmm. part of the process. But if you can't show up, then I can't protect you. So yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, Yeah. it, see, it seemed
0: very it seemed very straightforward, like, but I, I guess like in, in reality, I would imagine you probably struggled to, to convince people of that until like looking for opportunities to to display yeah, that like, trust.
1: You know what it does, like it seems obvious and it seems simple, but that's the thing, like the best solutions are the simplest solutions, but they're not the easiest to actually yeah. implement, you know, like in our like in my team's uh, case like we used to interact with many different departments and what we did it was a fast-paced environment and so on so decisions had to be made quick under pressure usually and so on so inadvertently you know when somebody was maybe less experienced or just forgot busy like you have also your personal stuff going on sometimes you make a decision that's not the best even though you think it's within the rules and so on right yeah. but the way you handle and and then I would get escalations from everybody under their mother, right, about how my team didn't do this or didn't do that. But when you handle it consistently, when you, A, take the benefit of the doubt, you investigate actually the facts and not just, and are able to push back and sometimes to more senior person, somebody from a different department, somebody who has more thing to protect your team member when they did the right thing, they appreciate that and they see it right and then when they didn't you're not again they're not losing their job you're just privately coaching them really that's what it is right you're coaching them okay well this is the situation this is the decision you make how could you have done it better right given now that you have time you look back at it you're not under pressure and so on and that's sort of um that's with time it cannot as i said it cannot be done overnight do
0: you know what that reminds me of this is a bit of a, a random uh thought but you know manchester united the soccer team yeah um don't know if you're much of a fan I, i'm not particularly a, a soccer fan but one thing i always found interesting was their manager alex ferguson that he um so he was their manager for like 26 years most successful manager ever like but one of the things that he always talked about was in public he would defend his players no matter what happened on the pitch like if they had a mm-hmm. terrible game or Um, Mm -hmm. you know, they they didn't look like, look like a lackluster performance or something. He would always defend them publicly. And then in private, he would tear strips off them. He would like, Mm -hmm. like, he used to call it the hairdryer treatment. He used to just be in their face screaming at them, but in the dressing room. Mm -hmm. And I think that like, it's, it's a very extreme version of that, but it's an interesting approach where he in public, he has their back. He will never, ever throw them under the bus Mm -hmm. in public, but in private, he'll let them know very directly. Uh-huh. what went wrong you know he had just uh-huh. had i think he just had really really high standards for what was what was expected from a manchester united player and i always uh-huh. thought like he he could have been if he wasn't a manager of manchester united he could have been a brilliant ceo or um you know done very well in business because the same principles apply like of of leadership of you know protecting yeah. your team yeah so yes yeah, so, and, and they knew that they would have that that trust so just tell me again just the the first dysfunction is say it again the
1: dysfunction is absence of trust and with that people are not able to be vulnerable right they're not they're not talking to you they're not being honest in the meeting or even like with you one-on-one as a manager right they're holding back
0: the the defenses are up like and they Yeah. yeah so so someone doesn't have trust in and that's a i think that's a I don't know, maybe it's just what because of what I'm into these days that it seems to me that more and more companies are open to that idea of vulnerability, the idea of we're not all perfect, let's not pretend we are. Mm-hmm. We all make mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a great quote from Richard Branson, I think, he said, The only guarantee in business is that you and everyone around you is gonna make mistakes. Yeah. And, I, and <laughs> I like that's that. <laughs> yeah, and it's so true. Like you think that's once you accept that, then well, let's yeah. all move forward as a team. Like we kind of yeah. need to trend in yeah. the right direction and begins with yeah. trust. All right, then what's the next dysfunction of a team?
1: So the next dysfunction is fear of conflict and artificial harmony that results of it. And by conflict, the author means the conflict over ideas, solution, not a personal conflict, attacking people personally and tying, again, mistakes to they are, but rather, okay, we all have diversity of opinions. We all come from different backgrounds. So we look at things differently. So when we're thinking about an idea, whether it's a project process, whatever, right, a solution, we will see different things and we will not agree on hundred percent of things. So, so for the leader to be able to, A, um, how do you say, like embrace that and really actually Um, I'm missing an English word. Like, allow people to have that conflict, or even invite people to have that conflict, right? In during the meeting, right? Not allow people to go behind the backs and politics, right? So, oh, I don't agree with this person, but I don't say anything on the meeting. I will just go and vent or whine, as I call it, right? Whine to you after in private, but at the same time, sort of, um manage the meetings in a way where that conflict doesn't become personal right when it's all about the ideas because then if that doesn't happen yes there's this artificial harmony where people sort of agree but they still go out there and do their own thing or you know in the book because they're executives they have their own team so they sort of agree but then they go and tell their teams something else right what they think is right and then the team is not aligned, or the executive team is not aligned on doing the same thing as opposed to you brainstorm ideas. Everybody says what they think, right? Yes, we might not agree on 100%, but if we agree on 80%, then the, the leader take the stance, makes helps to make final decision, and then everybody's on board because everybody was heard. everybody understands why we came to that conclusion and to that particular solution, for example.
0: Joel, as you were talking there, it reminded me of loads of different things. One of the first thing is another book I read recently called Working Backwards about uh, Amazon and how they basically built Amazon. And one of the things they have is very similar to that idea and it's called Disagree and Commit. So it's okay if you disagree, (laughs) but we are going to make this decision and we're gonna move forward. Second thing it reminded me of then is, this idea that making no decision is worse than the wrong decision. And Jeff yes. Bezos would talk about a two way door or one way door. No one way door would be a door that you can't come back through. Once we make this decision, there's no going back. But he said the vast majority of decisions are two way doors. If we make the wrong decision, then we'll get data and, and we'll correct, you know. Mm-hmm. But the thing I really reminded me of, I don't know if you've ever heard of a guy called, um, I always pronounce his name wrong. I think it might be my Irish accent, but I call him Edward de Bono. Edward de Bono, maybe might be what he's called it all. But Edward de Edward de Bono um wrote a book, I think, back in like the sixties. I think if he'd written it these days, um it would be a blog post. Like this book was very small, very um thin, and lots of examples mm-hmm. that weren't necessary. But the core idea behind this book was brilliant. And it's called Six Thinking Hats. And the idea mm-hmm. was that now it seems a bit kind of fluffy and a bit kind of, you know wishy-washy but the idea is really solid and the idea is similar to what you're saying there is that he would say that he took this idea of putting on your thinking hat right like that that expression to you know put on your Mm -hmm. thinking hat and he said what we should all do is we should all be thinking in the same direction at the same time so he would say he came up with this idea of these six different colored hats and the idea say of the now i've got the i'll get the color wrong because i'm only haven't read it in a long time but say (laughs) for example um say some say say the 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 meeting was about should we move into the German market right should Mm -hmm. what Mm -hmm. and then everyone has an opinion right we should we shouldn't it's a great idea it's a terrible idea and that's where Mm -hmm. all that kind of crazy conflict happens so this idea in this book was that let's all think in the same direction at the same time so let's say for example the person running the meeting might say everyone put on their yellow thinking hat and yellow means tell me everything that's great about this idea tell me why we Mm -hmm. should move into the German market Everyone come up with, it, you know, all your reasons why it's a great idea. And then the black thinking hat is like, tell me all the reasons that are wrong. Mm-hmm. And then the green thinking hat is give me all your most creative, wacky ideas as to how we could do this. And yeah. then lot, I think that like the red thinking hat is like, what's your gut feeling about this? And mm-hmm. what that does then is you don't like I've done meetings with it before, but without actually mentioning the colors of hats, because it's a bit silly, I think. But
1: mm-hmm.
0: you can you can get everyone thinking in the same way. And what happens then is that everyone gets heard. So some people who's dead against it, tell me, give me good, give me all the reasons why this is a terrible idea and mm-hmm. write it all down on the board. Mm-hmm. Tell me, give me at least three reasons why it's a good idea. right? And then write all them down on the board. And now we yeah. have discussion points. Now everyone is being heard. Everyone's ideas are written down and we can all make a decision together. And then even like you said, if 80% of the people are are on board and 20% aren't, well, then we can, we can disagree and commit go, well, look, we've yeah. put everything down. This is why we've made this decision.
1: Exactly. And we're going to go for it
0: or we're not going to go for it so i think that's um that's a, that's a really good one is that what did you call it artificial harmony I think That's a, yeah
1: artificial harmony fear that's of a brilliant phrase
0: yeah yeah it's yeah. a great phrase because yeah. yeah we've all experienced that and again it's not something that's ever written down or discussed mm-hmm. but like i'll nod and, and, and agree in the meeting then i go back to my team go yeah look we're probably yeah. this is maybe a good idea maybe it isn't like i'm not really committed like it's it's interesting
1: yeah. and- You know what, for me, like when you're a manager, that should exactly be a red flag. If you're a manager leading a meeting and everybody agrees and there's no debate, nobody brings it, especially people who are doing the work on whatever you're you're talking about and they're not bringing issues, then if you think everything is hunky-dory and perfect, then you're lying to yourself, right? As I said, like we're human beings we're flawed by design, which is beautiful, I think. But that means things will always happen. There's always issues and so on. And your if your team is not bringing that up in the meetings, then you have a problem. That should be a red flag, right? Like everybody agrees or nobody says anything. They just nod the heads and leave the meeting and meetings are boring. Yeah. Then you have a problem, right? And you need to dig in. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I remember hearing before, um, like a CEO saying, "Well, if everyone on my team agrees with me, what do I need you for? Like, there's if there's no need for you to be here mm-hmm. if everyone's just going to agree with me." So, yeah, that's and again, that like it's about kind of having that constructive conflict yes. rather than yes. you know making it personal or yeah um yeah, yeah interesting.
1: And that and that can only happen when people trust each other and yourself. Right. So when they trust you that a whatever we say stays in the room or like whatever, it's not personal. And then another thing is that, yeah, you're not entertaining, entertaining politics behind the back. So whomever said and then as a manager start talking about other people, you know, with other people. So you're like kind of allowing that behind the back conversations, then you don't that people will shut down. Right. Because you know, they'll, you know, they'll stop yeah,
0: trusting. Yeah, exactly. And it it reminds me of, <laughs> of uh, thinking think about whether to share this or not, but sure, I've I've shared loads of personal things before about my life, but uh, it reminds me of when my wife and I first moved in together before we were married and we bought this house actually. And um we used to have blazing rows like over just the stupidest things like how to fill a dishwasher, you know, all just mm-hmm. crazy stuff that we just neither of us expected. We'd like as you know we obviously got on very well we were getting married and and buying a house and all and but we were having these crazy arguments and Mm -hmm. um we just had different ways of doing things and i remember the two of us kind of thinking right this is crazy how these arguments are going because you know it's going to end in disaster we come up with two very very simple rules that are similar to i guess what's in that book and the first rule was whatever we're arguing about you're not allowed to bring up other things like Mm -hmm. you, you like if it's about you know who's filling the dishwasher or whatever uh-huh. you're not allowed to bring up anything else we we're talking with this and only this and it's it's more constructive and the second thing was you're not allowed to leave the room nobody's allowed to storm out and slam a door
1: uh-huh. and
0: honestly once we had those rules in place it almost became a joke then like about you know because you'd go to leave mm-hmm. the room go oh, off, not let him leave <laughs> like it like you kind of like it was almost like there was parameters for the argument okay. and it made it just made it much more constructive and um lots of things just melted away then and yeah. It was, it was a weird time because I guess at the time we we're probably, you know, stressed about in the house and two different, it's two different worlds colliding, like about mm-hmm. how we mm-hmm. would run things, you know, in, in a household. So it was, re- it was a really interesting thing, but like that, we, we trusted each other to, to stay within the rules and it didn't mm-hmm. spiral out of control then where, yeah will you always do this. Well, you never do that. You know, like it, it, all that kind of went away and we'd kind of stick mm-hmm. to the, stick yeah. to the topic, you know, and it was a lot more constructive, I think.
1: Yeah, and that's a great example, because then, yeah, as a leader, your your role is come back to the rules, come back to the rules, right? Because it's yeah. normal. It's I always call it like kids, right? Kids like to like bend the rules and check yeah. with mom or then check yeah. with dad if they agree and so on and I'm sorry but as human beings like we have that tendency so even when your employees will try that they will try to bend the rules, come around talk to you oh special yeah. this or that or come you know if you were, if there is somebody above you and they're open they will go there right so as a management team you need to be aligned on the same page kind of like parents it doesn't mean you know there are certain rules that definitely can be banned in exceptional circumstances whatever but overall you need to bring back everybody to the rules and so on and that's how you create that trust and then stuff just disappears right unnecessary little things just disappear and then you can focus on the key like okay how can we win together yeah
0: yeah and and it's 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 funny you mentioned kids because i i think that as well as that it's actually something my own mother taught me when 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 i had my kids is that they you said they actually you think they don't like rules but they do they like to know where the parameters are like say my my two youngest kids um they call it going up and down right they go outside the front of the house and out onto the street like and there's a certain pole and a certain tree that they're allowed to go between Mm -hmm. and they're happy as anything that's once they know what where the parameters are you can't go further than this tree Mm -hmm. you can't go further than that pole then they're happy they just kind of go up and down they know what the rules are you know so um and it's it's the same thing i think with any any team it yeah and it's not it's not to patronize people and make out like their kids but it's it's a human thing that these are the parameters this is what we must stay within for this argument and that's what will make it constructive is that yeah we've all agreed these rules in a, in a calmer state of mind so now that we're all kind of getting elevated and getting more emotional just remember the rules and your job then as a leader is to, is to yeah. reset and keep bringing people back to those rules and say let's not make it personal let's not storm out of the room, you know, let's not bring up other things. So let's focus on what we're actually talking about.
1: Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So right. third
0: one. Bring on the third one now.
1: Third one is lack of commitment. So we kind of touched on it and ambiguity, right? So like team that fails to commit, there is an ambiguity about priorities and kind of goals and direction. Right. People are not sure where are we going as a team and so on. And that also breeds right lack of confidence as well when when people and and fear of failure right because if i don't know what's expected in me or where we're going then i'm not sure if the decision i'm making is the right decision so i don't want to fail and so on right so that's really and then with that, then you have a lot of discussions that are unproductive, right? A lot of meetings that I'm sure we've all been there, like where we spend an hour talking about something, nothing is decided, you just wasted your time, yeah. and then the next meeting is over and over the same, right? Like I've been part of those, <laughs> and yeah. it's just like sometimes you want to pull your hair. It's like, okay, let's move on, right? Stop talking, let's discuss and move on, but we need to know first like where are we going?
0: Yeah. There's yeah. A, there's a great book called um uh, extreme ownership and I, I don't know if I mentioned it to you before actually it's about yeah, by a, a guy it. called uh, oh you read it. oh you Jocko yeah, Willink so yes. oh, yeah. um, for the, for those people listening so Jocko Willink talks about um uh, ha- having having a mission that everyone knows mm-hmm. why we're doing it like what yes. is the point in this and yes. if you don't if you can't explain it to your team then you need to go and find out that's one of your jobs as a leader mm-hmm. is to go up the chain and say, "Tell me why this matters. Why does exactly. this?" And it's uh, it's something I say all the time as well. Is that I think it's it's somewhat irrelevant what somebody's job is. I think real fulfillment comes from uh, solving interesting problems with good people. Yes. And the way you solve, yeah. it, I think one of the things that makes a a, a problem interesting is that you know why you're doing it like this yeah if we if we can get this figured out it means that x y and z will happen or that the next team who's going to take over next they'll be able to do their job and now we're we're all kind of moving in the same direction so yeah yeah any 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 sort of i've been in those meetings where you know what is the point in this meeting it just goes on for like an hour two hours into it and we're just all rambling nobody there's no agenda there's no Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's no there's no reason for the meeting like mm-hmm. I, everyone says like most meetings could be an email like if you're really going to have a meeting mm-hmm. have a really strong reason why you're going to do it like and make yeah. sure that the team can row in behind something you know so yeah yeah ambiguity is a is a is a motivational killer yeah <laughs> yeah
1: and you know what i will even say like because you know sometimes companies have missions right and then they have the general mission and so on but When I was, again, junior team, junior manager, sometimes people don't see how their day-to-day work ties to that mission, right? Because it's so far away from what they do. Again, it's different for executives. It's different for teams with junior people. And you as a manager need to bring it back. You need to show them how their day-to-day work is meaningful, how they're contributing, right, to the higher mission. And I would even say, like, what I did, I created our own team missions. And in the beginning, when I started, because team was dysfunctional, I did it myself and sort of like a first take in it. But I think after a year, like within a few months or after a year, we reviewed it together and we created it together. I got my team, once they were more on board, we had the trust, we had, you know, we had that base level of really trust. So we can, yeah. we know that whatever they create comes from their good place and the right place and not like that cynicism and like i don't believe it but i want to say something right then i actually got them to recreate that mission improve it get ready and we would review it on a regular basis and then another thing is like just you're probably like yeah like manchester united and i think any sports team right as a leader your job is to show that we are a team, there's no one person who could do it all and yeah. build that team pride, right? So, that because that also fosters that c- collaboration, wanting to work together and commitment to the team goals, not just like, I'm the star, I just want, you know, if I'm great, then that's all that matters, right?
0: know you know it's actually similar to to one of the reasons why the why my company is called tribal is that everybody wants to feel like they're part of a tribe and i think that's what a good Mm -hmm. team is it's a tribe that like back in the in the caveman days if if i survive you survive you know like if i eat you eat like you know it's and there should be like this it's it's human nature to want to be part of something that you know we all kind of win together and and you're dead right that if somebody somebody is trying to be um the superstar or they're trying to make it all about them then you have to get rid of them because they 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 they'll pull the rest of the team down they'll they'll demotivate the rest of the team if mm. if it can it can ruin the balance of the team i think if there's um if there's mm. in in irish we call it a may fainer you know, may fainer is um Somebody who's all about themselves. So that's like okay. an Irish <laughs> phrase. So what's that guy like? He's a bit of a Mayfainer. So it's <laughs> a, May, Mayfain means myself. That's like uh, an Irish word. Wait, so wait, wait. a May a Mayfainer is somebody who's like just all about themselves. So yes, okay. so you can't have any Mayfainers on the team.
1: <laughs> yes, no, you can't. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: so yes, yeah, so just give me just give me that that third one again. Then the um, the, the third one: the...
1: lack of commitment and then ambiguity.
0: That lack of commitment yeah so the lack of commitment comes from i don't feel like i'm part of a team basically that's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah
1: yeah and i don't i don't see how my work maybe contributes right to the bigger yeah to the goals or the mid-line. actually
0: that, and that's actually what jocko willing i <clears throat> think talks about in that book as well is that they your team if it's siloed starts to see other teams in the company as the enemy yes without, yes. without really understanding what 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 their situation is or what their limitations are what Uh like so now it's like well it's not their fault they don't have the budget they don't have the time don't know the people whatever but then your team starts to blame that that team Uh and now we're into all this chaos Uh of blaming each other rather than trying to understand you know what other teams are going up against or or where that cog is in the whole machine like what where does our team fit in and um yeah so all right then fourth one the
1: fourth one is avoidance of accountability low standards
0: right
1: oh, yeah. yeah. so so yeah so as much as you know there is a vision and teamwork but there needs to be accountability for individual team members to do their part but like what he says what delincioni says in this book and i started seeing that in my team is that he encourages the leaders to just be like the final sort of person who puts discipline if needed, but for the team members to hold themselves accountable, right? When you have high standard and you keep everybody to the same high standard and the team spirit is high, people will call out those who are not pulling their weight and allowing that allows the team to work together to see you know to 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 truly be bonding and then <clears> that the, the, i guess the leader and the manager just make sure that a it's still for me like especially like when i think about myself it's still respectful it still doesn't come from like the personal you know, disagreements, but more it's constructive, right? Hey, like, maybe peer coaching type of thing, right? I've noticed you do this. Hey, let me help you. Let me explain. So next time you can do better. Because if not, then we're all suffering, right? Like the the weight of big mistakes or negligence and so on comes Mm -hmm. on us, right? So that's sort of, keeping everybody to the same standard coaching but also allowing the team members hold each other accountable builds that team spirit even more
0: i think that's a, a really important one but i i would imagine that's the one that most teams suffer with most or suffer um to get on board with because it's so difficult to when if you're to ask for feedback and then to receive it is it's something i i i i figured that out years ago that it's like ripping off a band-aid you know you have to um do it like just ask for feedback get the feedback and kind of almost you kind of have to brace yourself for the negative feedback because that's the only way you as an individual gets better it's the only way that uh uh, the team gets better then it's like if we're all open and it it ties back into that first thing you said about trust Mm
1: -hmm.
0: there has to be there has to be trust that i'm gonna i'm now going to hold you accountable i'm now going to give you feedback on your performance yeah, and it's it's tough. It's tough to hear, like sometimes that you know, um, you're, you you especially if you haven't been doing your best work and you know you haven't, and somebody calls you mm-hmm. out on it. Uh-huh. That's that can mm-hmm. be tough to hear sometimes. But again, we're all human. We're all capable of yeah. just yeah. taking our foot off the gas for you know a week or a month or whatever, and just kind of coasting for a while. And but if you can, it's it's funny. It's funny. The, these five dysfunctions are brilliant because they. We, we we always teach these things in in standalone individual mm-hmm. um points but in reality they all kind of mesh together it's all like connected, this, yes. it's all connected. Yes. like in a, yes. it's a circle like there's no there's no you just have to dive in and start doing these things start with trust and yeah. um, accountability and yeah it's i love it like it's um i kind of i'm kind of fixated on this idea of accountability i think that's probably the one so far that i think a lot of people would would struggle to to get on not get on board that's probably the wrong phrase but to but to really commit to I think it's Mm -hmm. what do you think you am I am I right there it's like because when somebody when somebody holds you accountable Mm -hmm. it's tough to hear
1: It's definitely tough to hear. Don't get me wrong. It's tough to hear, especially in the beginning, if you've never done that before, right? But as you say, you grow as a person. Now, if that accountability is done, again, without blaming you as a person, personality, or just something, hey, like, yeah, wasn't perfect, but you can fix it. It's a skill. You just need to, you know, let me help you understand it from a different perspective, or you need to get better a little bit of this, whatever that case might be, right? You you see that A, you're safe, right? You're not losing your job, nobody's punishing you for it, and you are becoming better and then you start feeling better. But don't get me wrong, it's definitely tough to get and receive in the beginning, but what happens is it's definitely easier to receive it from a peer than your manager, that's one. Second yeah. of all, if they're helping you, you're seeing, right, how that's helping you and so on. And then ultimately, when you're really working as a team, you will also be less judgy and more compassionate for other team members that maybe you noticed they did something and it fell on you, yeah. right? And you'll yeah. be able to do the same, kind of help them through it, right? And it really... Establish like when when as a manager you're holding everybody to the same standard, you're allowing people to collaborate, help each other in a respectful way, it also establishes really like respect amongst the team members, right? Because there's nothing worse when you have a high performer who is doing great and then seeing somebody who is slacking and things not being addressed. Right. So as a manager, you need to do that. You need to address certain things, but you also want to foster that first kind of level of let me help you. You're not doing like I've noticed, how can I help you so we can both work together and kind of, you know, not suffer from the backlash of mistakes that we made and we need to fix.
0: I think I think you said something very important there. Is that it's about compassion, and I think that's again ties right back into the first dysfunction of of trust. Mm-hmm. Is that if you have trust and if you have a a, a good um, uh, if you have a good a good reason why you're doing things, then yeah, maybe you're right that that idea of of taking feedback or or of somebody holding you accountable, if it's done with compassion and if you feel like you're part of a team and if you feel like mm-hmm. we're all in this together, then. Exactly. And actually, you, know, you know what it's like as well it's um you know if you teach somebody about sales and they say somebody's brand new to sales and they have no idea what they're doing and they're trying to you know sell something to somebody I've, I've seen this before i've taught people sales and it's like a it's a fine line between um it's 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 you saying all the words to the customer but mm-hmm. it's also a, a performance that you're putting on yeah. like in a way like and I don't like using the word performance because it sounds like it's almost I'm trying to be underhanded like I'm trying to be somebody that I'm not but if you if you if you think of a sales conversation as as a performance then like you said it's a skill you can learn and all mm-hmm. sales really is about is finding out what somebody's problem is and do yeah. they have the solution yeah. so like it's about kind of on un- it's almost like a, a puzzle you know you're trying to unlock it as you go and if you yeah. if you approach it that way that it's
1: yeah it's, uh, it's more <clears throat> it's more as you say so you can say the same thing and be received differently because it's all about the mindset you have and the energy you give out right and it's the same with the feedback if everybody comes from the premise and receives it this way because there is that trust from I assume the positive intent, as he said, we're all in this together. We just want the team to win. Then I know that the person coming, giving me feedback, it's for my benefit, for my best thing and not them blaming and accusing me to point fingers. So they're free, you know, because we're trying to punish somebody. This is no, we all want to win. I know you did try your best. You think I want to help you get better. And you can get better by this, right? And here's my feedback. And when, when you know that that's where the feedback is coming from, you can receive it much better than when you know when somebody is coming with the similar maybe feedback, but trying to accuse you and point the fingers and, you know, show that you're the, the cause of everything bad, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, give me that fourth one again then before we move on to the fifth one
1: the fourth one is avoidance of accountability and then low standards
0: yeah the low standards i think that's a, mm-hmm. that's a great one as well for each individual to have their like it's something i've often thought about my own career and, and my company as well so no matter what standards you set for me mine or higher like i always i'll always want to be mm-hmm. I'll, i think i just hold myself to a higher standard than anyone else could possibly ever hold me to so I think that kind of drives me. So all right, then fifth and uh final. Okay, fifth the and the
1: final. So that the the dysfunction is inattention to results, so not focusing on results. And then what happens is the status in the ego comes in, right? So uh, if we right. don't have common results, we're trying to achieve as a team, win the game, you know, whatever, make so much in sales or or hit certain KPIs. You know, I've been part of more of an operational teams than sales teams. So there are certain yeah. things serve right, we for delivering service. Then what happens is, you know, a you lose employees that care about that, right? That that want to do well and so on. And then it encourages people to focus on them only, right? And their careers and so on. And then you start having. A group of individuals, kind of working together, rather than again the team, and and benefiting from the sum of the parts is higher, truly, yeah. than just individual people working together.
0: Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's comes back to that whole idea of why 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 are we on this project? What are we doing this for? Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. result is like the the destination, like that. We're going to get to this point, and we're going to see if we what was the thing from there's like a a navy i quote the navy seals a lot i think it makes me sound a bit tragic because they're like like i think i'm a navy seal or something but (laughs) i i don't but there's a there's a i think it's from some navy seal book i can't remember where i got it but the 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 one of their things is that they they ask themselves what happened uh what did we think would happen and why was it different whether Mm -hmm. and i think that's a great kind of a, a very simple thing to to look at any project that you're on what did we think was going to happen what did happen and mm-hmm. why were they different whether good or bad like why did mm-hmm. we miss the target why did we completely overshoot the target why did mm-hmm. we not know and that's a mm-hmm. great way to to reset and to um kind of focus on the results i suppose is to yeah is, is to is to think about well we're here to see the results so we might as well yeah. focus on them when they arrive you know and, and see yeah. if they're what we got
1: yeah and you know what? like you were talking that's a great example of assessment and evaluation, and even in my business, I teach that to my clients on a regular basis. You know, I ask them to do it almost weekly, but like at least yeah. monthly, if they don't have specific projects, it's okay, you had the goals, know you know, did you reach them or not? and yeah. what worked, no matter the situation, what worked, right? So you learn and you know what's working so you can do more of it. The more you yeah. do of what's working, the better the results, right? Then understand what didn't work and why. And again, it's not to feel bad or beat yourself up, but it's to learn to make your experiences valuable. Even if it's a failure, even if it's a mistake, you can make it valuable by learning and understanding. And then what am I going to do differently, right? Is there anything I'm going to change the next month, next quarter, whatever, next project that can help me avoid certain mistakes or go on or get closer to my goal or even exceed it even more?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's an interesting thing. I wonder if there are many teams, though, that I suppose there is, if it's, a, if it's a function of a team that they don't focus on results, I suppose that is... It seems like a really obvious thing that you should focus on results, but mm-hmm. maybe some people need to need them need to hear it said out loud like by this by the end of this quarter we're going to have yeah. this many more members or you know whatever, mm-hmm. so yeah it's um it seems like an obvious one, but like what is the point in work if you're not focused on results? you know yeah. what's the point in, right. in these projects if you're not going to right it's again like like we said about going into those meetings where they just go go round and round in circles and get nowhere yeah. and. Like that's right. that's a that's a real simple one for somebody to start with. On what was the result of this meeting?
1: Yeah, like, exactly. I, I've,
0: I've, yeah, I've I've heard of people saying before, like I'm not going to a meeting unless you tell me why I need to be there or or what's exactly. on the agenda. Like, oh, I'm not going exactly. To, uh,
1: and and you know that's the thing that sometimes as yes, the company like if you think about executive level and higher level, maybe like it would be weird if there wasn't. <laughs> you know, some sort of scorecard or results that executive. But hey, like if Pat Linzion, you wrote it about executive teams, clearly there is some teams that don't. But even when you think about, again, other teams of more junior employees and so on, sometimes maybe not, right? Or even a meeting, like what is the result we want to achieve from that meeting? So when you bring it even to the smallest things you're doing and you focus on that, then at least whatever you're doing, it's kind of productive and not like, oh, yeah, we're just there to be there to do things. And that is yeah. so easy to lose motivation, right? When you're like, yeah. okay, well, I'm here to do what?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm here to look busy. So that's yes. that's what happens in some jobs. I'm, I'm here because you said I had to be here at 9 a.m. So I'm here. Yeah, like, um, so I'm here. Per- pretending to click on a keyboard, you know? Um, yeah. Great. Uh, Maggie, give us the five dysfunctions again before we follow up. Just uh, give us a real quick summary of from there before we finish.
1: All right, quick one. So absence of trust and then you have people don't show vulnerability and that's really foundation. If that doesn't, if that it's not in place, then it's hard to build any team. Then the second one is fear of conflict, that artificial harmony. When people just agree, they don't bring up issues, they don't dispute ideas and so on, everything is hunky-dory, but then somehow we're not meeting expectations or results. Third one is lack of commitment, ambiguity. So again, people do not commit to maybe decisions that were made. And, you know, if they're not made by hearing everybody out and understanding why we are making the decision, then no wonder, right? People don't commit. They just nod their heads. They kind of agree, but they don't. Then the fourth one is avoidance of accountability. So low standards. If we don't keep anybody, if we don't, I think as a leader, if we don't kind of keep high standard and believe in our team members that they can be the best selves and we're kind of like, oh, you don't need to grow, You, you know, I don't believe in you. That's why I have a low standard. For me, that's the case. Then they don't believe in themselves. If you believe in them, you keep them to the high standard because you know they can get there, then you know, and hold them accountable to it, then they will also hold each other accountable and they will be proud of themselves and the team and what they achieve. And then the fifth one is an attention to results. So again, if we're not focused on results, then why we're here in the first place as well and then that leads to people thinking just status and ego and being individuals and then you're missing the whole power that a teamwork can bring
0: yeah that's a brilliant book it really is it's it's, it it lays it out great about how how to kind of how to kind of find a way into a possible problem in your team at a Mm -hmm. like everything i say to do it tribal it's it's all human connection it's all human Mm -hmm. beings and Mm -hmm. how we interact with each other and um all the unwritten rules that we that aren't written in a mission statement somewhere you know that it's um yeah yeah it's interesting is there anything else we missed maggie before we finish
1: no i think i think that's it i highly recommend it fantastic book very easy quick read read but i think i've read it three four times and it's been a while and I'll probably read it again.
0: (laughs) Well, excellent. Thanks very much, Maggie. Um, it's been, been great.
1: Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you for having me.
0: Hey, before you go, just a quick message about tribal and what we're all about. We believe that true learning happens when you understand, remember, and deliberately practice your newly acquired knowledge. And this podcast just covered the first part. You now understand the key takeaways from this book. To help you remember them, we will send you three interactive summaries that accompany this episode to empower you to remember those key takeaways at the moment of truth. And then to really embed the knowledge from this episode, you can use the dedicated digital action log to set a time and a date to go out into the big bad world and deliberately practice the key takeaways. For all of this and for all of our podcast episodes, head over to mytribal.com. Until next time.